All right. Everybody can start making their way back to their seats. We'll go ahead and get started this morning. Did everyone enjoy the snow? Kind of. Yeah, not really. It's kind of more ice than snow. But maybe this will be the one thing we get this year. I'm not looking forward to another 12 inches like we got last February. That was a bit much as far as snow. But anyway, it's good to have all of you all here this morning. It's good that the roads cleared up so that we could be here. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is John. Uh, I'm the executive director here and work with Dan. And we're going to continue our study uh, this morning in the book of Proverbs. And we've been looking at, at various topics that appear frequently throughout the book of Proverbs. And today we're going to look at the topic of justice. Now, even the mere mention of that word seems to be loaded these days. And there are some of you around here probably saying, amen, it's about time that someone talks about justice. There's some of you who are probably looking at me like, all right, this guy's already a woke Marxist. I don't know what this guy's going to say. And then there's others who are probably like, oh, gosh, can, can we just not leave the politics on the news and on the talking heads and talk about something else in church? But for those of you who are hesitant, I would ask you to just suspend those thoughts for a few moments. Because as you see in your bulletin, every single verse is from the book of Proverbs. And if we're a church that holds to the inspiration and in the inerrancy of Scripture, and thus its authority over everything we do with our faith and with our life, there isn't anything that we can skip over just because it may not be popular at the time. Now, I will say, covering a topic like justice in about 30 minutes seems impossible. And it has seemed like an impossible task all week to try to boil this down. So I cannot cover and I will not cover everything that needs to be said. There's going to be some of you at the end who say, well, why didn't you say something about this? Well, it's probably because I thought about it, but it wouldn't fit in 30 minutes and everyone wants to go to lunch. But my goal for us today is from the book of Proverbs is to glean what I think are four key ideas and just lay a foundation of our understanding of justice from the book of Proverbs. And so in doing so today, I want us to learn a new word. It's a Hebrew word. Blake's already excited. We're going to learn a new word. It's mishpat. You can all say that. Mishpat. Say it again. Mishpat. Good. Now you know some Hebrew. This word is used over 200 times in the Old Testament. So I would say it's a pretty important concept. It's most often translated justice, but it carries a sense of of what's right, a rule, a decision, or a custom. So it's very much law-based in its usage, typically referring to laws where a case can be brought against another person in court. It meant in each case, trying every case on the merits of the case, regardless of the person involved, any characteristics about them, or their social status. We might also throw the word in there, equity, when we're talking about that. But it goes further than the legal aspect of wrongdoing, and we'll look into this a little bit more shortly. It meant giving people what was their right, as in protection or care. So the first thing I want us to look at there, and there's three number ones in the bulletin. It's one through four. I think we can all figure that out. But number one, justice is defined by God. If you look at Proverbs 1, one through four, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, 
knowledge and discretion to the youth. So this is something that we need instruction in. It starts out very clearly saying that the simple need this, that those who are going to be wise in the law of God and those who are going to be wise in the people of God need understanding and need instruction and justice. So this is something that we have to have defined by God. Proverbs 28.5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So to understand justice, it's something we need to seek the Lord for. So why do we need this instruction in justice? Why do we need God's revelation through the Bible? Well, all of this starts with the fall because of our sinful state. Each of us in our sinful state seeks to do what we want to do. We don't care about anyone else wants to do. We care only about what we want, and we certainly don't care about God's law. We often refer to that state prior to salvation as total depravity. But that can sometimes be misunderstood just because of those words. As you break that down, it means that prior to salvation, anything that we did, anything that we said, whatever we brought before God was lacking before a holy God, that there was nothing good within us and we were completely and totally unworthy. Nothing we say or do can merit us any favor. But total depravity also does not mean that mankind is as bad as it can possibly be. Thankfully, there is the restraint that God has allowed in this world of his common grace that holds mankind from being as bad as it possibly could be. In the world, there is this restraint of common grace. And because of that, a largely shared set of ideals throughout different people groups, different nations and things, that something like murder is wrong. Even from people who've never read the Ten Commandments, most people around the world would probably tell you that you probably shouldn't go out and just kill someone. Just as most cultures would agree and have this shared sense of a moral code that children should be protected from suffering. So we do seem to share some of these same ideas of certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Some things ought to be done and certain things ought not to be done. But this is where we can go astray without the wisdom of God to guide us. There are many things that one people group values over another people group. And, and so who is right and who's wrong and what is to determine our values. Not all groups calling for quote-unquote justice today fit into a biblical worldview. So any pursuit of justice starts with God's revelation. And as we just read, one of the primary aspects of the book of Proverbs is to teach us concerning justice. Anyone who's even taken a passing glance or even read a portion of the Old Testament will find in the laws of Israel that word justice or mishpat over and over again. It's defined is delineated as to how it should be done. Again, not just in the sense of punishment of wrongdoing, but also in the sense of protection and care. Here's just a few phrases from the Old Testament. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. He, God, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and, per, and, the, and the widow. I can continue on, but things such as provisions for the poor, the sojourner that was going throughout the land of Israel, widows, orphans, debts, charging of interest, all these things were dealt with in great detail within the law of God and how they were to be handled within the people of God. It went to how the corners of the field were not to be harvested. When, when, when harvesting was taking place, what was, what was dropped wasn't to be picked up. We see that come to play very largely in the book, in the book of Ruth. Uh, forgiveness of debts after so many years. Provisions for, for what the priest portion of the sacrifice were and so on. 
So it's abundantly clear that God is a God of justice, that he values equity and punishment and protection and care. So God defines justice. So any view of justice we build must start with God and his word. So God defines justice. Second, justice is demanded by God. In Proverbs 21.3, we see to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, make no mistake, sacrifices are a big deal in the Old Testament. Reading through the book of Leviticus, you read a lot about sacrifices, and you read a lot of the same things over and over. And the proper observance of those is critical until the final atoning sacrifice of Christ. But what is one of the critiques of the Pharisees that Jesus made? And from Matthew 23, 23, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. So we hear and read so much about sacrifices and the necessity of sacrifices and, and Christ being the final sacrifice for us that it's almost shocking to hear that God would rather have righteousness and justice rather than a sacrifice. But why is that? It's because God from the very beginning has always been concerned with what was in the heart more than what was done. See, God defines himself as just. In Deuteronomy 32, 4, God says of himself, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. From Job 37, 23, the Almighty, he is great in power. Justice and abundant righteousness he will not violate. Psalm 33, 5, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. We read that in our call to worship this morning. See, God demands justice because he is just. It's one of his defining characteristics of God being just. The well-known theologian Herman Bovnik broke this down and stated that there are really two aspects to God's justice. There's a retributive justice, which we think about in the legal system, that someone does something wrong, they get some kind of, of punishment. But there's also a reparative type of justice, and that it not only punishes evil doing, but it restores those who are victims of injustice. Bovnik goes on to further state, God's restorative justice is far more prominent in Scripture than his retributive justice. So God's justice is not like his anger and opposed to steadfast love, but closely akin and synonymous with his steadfast love. Now, this is where some of you may be thinking, yeah, but what you're talking about, this was all in the law. This is, this is all Old Testament stuff. We're not under the law. We're under a new covenant of grace. So if you don't know, we're, we're, we've kind of entered a, a new period here. And I'm well, I'm well aware of that. And I'll grant you that. And praise God we're under the new covenant of grace in Christ. But I'd follow up with one question. When we turn the page from Malachi to Matthew in our Bibles, has God's character changed? God's character has not changed. I'm not even asking a discussion about what portions of the law, the social portions or the ceremonial portions or, or whatever portions of the law may or may not apply to us today and which ones have ceased. I'm just asking, has the character of God changed? See, God's laws in the Old Testament revealed his character. And the indisputable fact is that God cares deeply about and demands justice because he is just. In fact, many prophets throughout Israel's history speak about the character of a man based on their regard for Mishpat, 
talking about Samuel and his sons. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. We look at a good one, like in David. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. And then Solomon, and all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And God warned over and over again that the failure to do justice would result in judgment. And we see that judgment come many times until ultimately the final destruction of the temple in Israel. Now, let's be clear of the type of justice we're talking about. This isn't just adherence to the, the social and ceremonial and sacrificial systems uh, of the day. These are things that we deal with today when God talks about justice. From uh, the poor, the oppressed, and the sojourner. From Psalm 112, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. From Psalm 140, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. A couple of passages from Isaiah. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. They have turned aside from justice and robbed the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil, that they may make the fatherless their prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Again, from Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, do right justice and justice, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. And then finally from Ezekiel, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and the needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. So let's apply this today. We, really, we don't have a sacrificial any system anymore, but we kind of make up our own and our own measures of what I would say little g godliness. How much and how often we, we read the Bible, our prayers, you know, what books we read, what podcasts we listen to, you know, the fact that we go to church, we might be in a community group, what we say, what we wear, what we do, what we won't do. In other words, we have in our mind what it looks like to be a Christian, and we do and don't do certain things. But even in the midst of all those things that we could be doing that are right things to do, we may still be missing an important aspect of life that is demanded by God, a concern for and carrying out of justice both in and out of the church. I want to introduce you to another Hebrew term, the Hebrew word for righteousness, zedekah. And it's very often found in association with mishpat. Now, we can't fully break down their differences and their interrelationships as they fall throughout the Old Testament, other than that both were regarded as foundations for a society of God. Where righteousness and justice fall together both in Proverbs 1.3 and Proverbs 21.3, right under points 1 and 2, righteousness and justice, is Zedekah and mishpat right there next to each other. And Zedekah is a bit more abstract, and it carries the idea of charity. It's oftentimes translated justice. But this also carries the idea of a community loyalty, preservation of good order, fairness, and integrity. So too often when we read righteousness, we think of righteousness or Zedekah in terms of our own private morality. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't commit these sexual sins, those type of things. But Zedekah, while it's primarily about a relationship with God and thus translated as righteousness, it also brings about a righteous life with others that are around us. So yes, justice is a community 
or dare I even use the word, a social matter in which we should be involved. It brings again an element of interwovenness and interdependence in society. I love how Neil Planticus says this. Um, he's, he's talking about this idea, and it's the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in equity, fulfillment, and delight. Now, don't miss the key part of that, of God is involved in that. Tim Keller puts it this way, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are faithfully and fruitfully employed, all under the ark of God's love. And justice must begin with the people of God and the people of God within the church. We have to get this right as the people of God and we have to get this right as the church before we can even begin to have a voice on this in society. So justice is defined by God and justice is demanded by God. But number three, I want to see that justice is rewarded by God and injustice is punished by God. But look at We'll just take a quick scroll through what some of these verses in Proverbs has to say. Uh, Proverbs 2 eight, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way in his saints. And there in Proverbs 8, I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasures. Proverbs 16.8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Proverbs 21, 7, the violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. Verses 13 and 15, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. Proverbs 22, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of his fury will fail. And we see, again, if we read the verses in Proverbs 28 and 29, that justice is something that is extremely important to God. And that's just a sampling of what God says about justice, rewarding justice and punishing injustice from the book of Proverbs. So what does all that mean for us? And this morning I'm speaking to the church, the, the, the body of Christ. We see injustice around us, and we even see injustice in the church. And let's just be honest with ourselves. If we don't see injustice, then we just need to open our eyes and look around and listen to people who are experiencing it. And it really is truly sad to me how divisive an issue this has become, to just even talk about justice and injustice. Some want to bury their heads in their sand because if their world is fine, then everything else will kind of be sorted out and I really won't have to deal with that. There are some that seem to be fighting against the cause of justice over what various terms actually mean, and we're getting into a very semantic debate that really is not fruitful at all. But I think we've seen quite clearly, and I could have read dozens of more verses, that God cares deeply about justice being done by his people in the society in which they live, both in the legal sense and in the more abstract, interpersonal sense of the word. If I were to speak to a large gathering of churches and, and talk about abortion and, and the justice due to the unborn child, people would applaud and people would rally and hold signs and, and go out and do things. If I were to speak about justice in the sense of taking care of orphans and the poor, we'd probably give some money. We'd pray for those that are out there doing the Lord's work, and then we'd head off to lunch or dinner or whatever the next session was. A little less comfortable is to listen to abusive behavior patterns in the church 
especially abusive behavior patterns that are set up towards women. But if I were to start to speak about race, people start to get more than a little uncomfortable and defensive about it, throwing around all sorts of labels as someone being woke and a Marxist and a liberal. And why is that? Has the fact that all men were created in the image and likeness of God suddenly become a fact that's liberal? A reading from any point in church history will show how at least some of the church has been involved in, complicit with, and has promoted injustice. Now, I love the church, and I think the church is the way that God has chosen to work in this world, in and through his people. But we as the church have to acknowledge and repent of our own failings in regard to justice. This, this rising tide of Christian nationalism will destroy and is destroying the church as we deny the history and the current state of injustice, even in our own country. The church in America is not innocent of injustice. So what are we in, church, in 2022 as followers of Christ doing to produce and to promote justice? Because the clear fact that we all in this room should be doing something because nothing is not a biblical option. In fact, we've seen that nothing is something that God detests. Well, I'd say first, we can all start looking at our own lives and repent where we need to repent of our own attitudes and actions, even some that we grew up with. We can listen to those who've been victims of injustice or, injustice, or those that have been marginalized and learn from their stories and gain their insights. We can learn what the issues actually are and learn about the issues before we make up our mind on whatever matter we've decided to make up our mind on. And then we can love. And as Dan often says, love is a process of meeting needs. Remembering we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourselves as the two greatest commandments. For any given issue, what to do, how to do it, the extent of change, those are very difficult questions with complex solutions. And we're likely going to disagree on some of those points. And I would say that's okay as long as we are pursuing justice that God demands of his people. Freedom of conscience exists in any area where God has not clearly spoken, but we should stop trying to bind people's consciousness to one particular way of thinking and doing, and especially voting. We should embrace the complexity of this issue and not fall victim to reductionism and seeking solutions. Contrary to some opinions, pursuing justice is not a forsaking of the gospel. It's actually a reflection of a just God by people who have been transformed by the gospel. Yet there are attempts at justice without the gospel and some attempts at justice that are antithetical to the gospel. But the mere fact that those exist shouldn't cause followers of Christ to ignore or to fight against justice by fighting against those other things. But here is the reality. True and lasting justice will never be obtained on this fallen earth by a fallen mankind. But we should never be guilty of ignoring the clear will of God by not pursuing justice both in and out of the church. And our fourth point, finally, Justice ultimately comes from God. Proverbs 29, 26. Many seek the face of the ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. These next three verses use our words mishpat and zedekah together. 
Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Isaiah 5, 16. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. Isaiah 16, 5. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. We know this world is full of injustice as we await the second coming of the one who is just and will establish justice forever. But until that time, we who claim the name of Yahweh should continue to claim and pursue justice as the people of God. None of the prophets, when they wrote, said, hey, y'all, justice is coming, so just, just sit back and wait and don't do anything and just, just, just hold tight. Something better is going to come. It was a promise to those who were faithfully pursuing Mishpat that their labors were not in vain and a comfort to those who sat in oppression as Mishpat was ignored around them. So when you look out at the world, know that justice will prevail in the new heaven and new earth as the just one rules over countless peoples from every tribe and tongue and nation. So in conclusion this morning, all I've simply tried to do is lay a foundation and a framework from Proverbs and supported by other scriptures that God defines justice, God demands justice, God rewards justice, and God is the ultimate source of justice. Justice is not the gospel, and justice does not have to forsake the gospel. Pursuing justice, again, is not a forsaking of the gospel. It is a reflection of a just God by people who have been transformed by the gospel. It is the gospel that drives us to pursue justice. So may we strive for justice as we await the glorious return of our Savior. And hear these words from Isaiah 42. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he's established justice in the earth. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the clear teaching of your word. We thank you that you care about all people, regardless of finances, regardless of skin color, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of, of where anyone comes from that all were created in the image and likeness of God. And Lord, may we carry that understanding as a church with us. May we look around within our church and see areas where we need to promote justice. May we look around at the, at the society in which we live here in this neighborhood of Little Rock and look to see what areas of justice that we can promote and that we can support. I pray that justice would not be something that scared us, but something would be inherently biblical and something that you demand and that you define. We love you and we thank you for the ultimate justice that came when you became the just and the justifier while Christ was on the cross, when you took away our sins from us and made us forever free in Christ. We love you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.